Recorded live. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Uh, my name is Lou Lombardi, a.k.a. Ludini, and uh, you can uh, keep up with us on uh, the Internet at LudiniRockAndRollCircus.com, where you can uh, check out all the uh, great uh, podcasts we've been doing, uh, both the interview series, which we have for you today, as well as our uh, music podcast, where we do get to finally play the music from these uh, amazing people we're getting to talk to. Today, I've got a fantastic uh, Texas uh, blues and rock uh, guitarist, uh, singer, songwriter on the line, Lance Lopez. I'm really excited to, uh, to talk to him. Uh, he's got uh, some great projects out there and just just a ferocious uh, guitar style, and uh, we are really fired up about it here at the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Uh, first, I'd like to thank my sponsors, uh, Positively Pittsburgh Live Magazine. That's pplmag.com for short. Uh, that's Pittsburgh's first internet radio and TV network and online community magazine and business directory. I'd also like to thank MTS Management Group. MTS Management is more than just an artist management company. It's a bona fide rock star in the music industry specializing in full service artist management, publicity promotions, and social media campaigns. MTS Management is on the cutting edge of today's new music business. And you can find out more about them at MTS Management Group. Dot com. Okay, now, the, the, the gentleman we have here on the line today, Lance Lopez, has uh, been a, a professional performing um, musician since the age of 14 when he began playing local bars in and around New Orleans, Louisiana area. At 17, he was hired by uh, soul great Johnny Taylor, with whom he toured for six months. By 18, he was hired as the band leader for the uh, blues legend Lucky Peterson's band, spending three years touring throughout the world. While Peterson's uh, uh, band, uh, he uh, ended up hooking up with the legendary uh, Buddy Miles, uh, formerly of the uh, Band of Gypsies, who worked with Jimi Hendrix. And uh, basically from there, uh, history has been made. Lance has been putting out his own records, working with people, also people like Kenny Arnoff, in a great uh, project that he's going to tell us all about. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Lance Lopez to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus. Lance, how are you, buddy? Hey, Ludini. How's it going, man? Great to hear from you. <laughs> it's good to hear you too, man. And uh, you were just—we were talking before you ever started here—that uh, you guys, uh, you know, had some rough weather down your way. And uh, your guitar's okay and everything, man. Oh yeah, everything. Everything. <laughs> luckily, everything survived all the tornadoes and all the storms. So yeah, we're 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 doing good. We're we're hanging in there. It's hard to keep you Texas guys down. I'm telling you. Oh, man, you know, we take a licking and keep on ticking. <laughs> so why don't we get started a little bit. Uh, let's go back to the beginning with um, with your guitar work because, you know, it, it, hey, you know, everybody's inspired by something or somebody. What made you want to pick that guitar up and start playing? Well, you know, um, it was really – my first memories really were, were seeing Elvis Presley on Betamax tapes. I mean, you remember Betamax tapes from yeah. the early 80s or whatever they were? Uh-huh. I don't even know when it was, like these little small tapes. Well, it was really strange because my my dad was actually in the army with Elvis Presley, and they knew each other from they knew each wow. other from uh, the Louisiana Hayride in Shreveport, Louisiana, where I was actually born. And then it was weird because they met there, and then as luck would have it, they were stationed in Germany together, so they just had this bond. So it was really strange to see Elvis on TV because I was a toddler. I mean, I didn't know 
about Elvis. All I knew is I saw him on TV, and then I would look over next to the TV, and there would be a picture of he and my dad together. Oh, wow. so I was like, okay, wow, there's my dad's friend on TV, like, rocking out with us. And it was the 68 comeback special. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but uh-huh. it was like that. That's, it was like, you know, it, where they were sitting around and just sitting and playing guitars. It was very raw, very impromptu. And so that really was the first exposure I had to that. And that, I was like, as soon as I saw that, I went, man, I, I, I have to. And I was like three years old. You know, I was like, man, I need to do that, you know. And so I would just, we would pass by music stores and I would be riding in the car, you know, with my family as a little kid. And I would see a music a guitar shop and all the guitars and the drums and the windows and just, I remember just literally, that was back before the days they put kids in car seats, you know, I would just literally stand on the seat of the car and just go, oh my God, we got to stop the car, I got to go in there, you know, so, I mean, kind of from the beginning, I really was, that was really what kind of drove me to play guitar, and I just, as I showed more and more interest, um, my dad eventually got me a guitar for Christmas a few years later, and so, because I just kept, you know, showing so much interest, and we would go into you know, pawn shops or something and I would go pick up a guitar and just strum on it and my dad eventually got me one and we got he got me one. He there was an album called The Great Twenty Eight by Chuck Berry. And it was mm. like a, 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 a Chuck Berry it was like all his like there was like twenty eight songs on it. And my dad got this got me a guitar, then he got the great twenty eight by Chuck Berry and he was like, Okay, now that you've got the guitar, we're gonna learn every song of this album and he literally <laughs> stood at the record player with the needle and it was on vinyl, you know, back in those days. And I would sit with my guitar and we would play Chuck Berry, you know, and so that was like the beginning of that. And once I remember figuring out, you know, those chords and how to play that, it was like, it was over with after that. It was just like, I was, you know, it was just, that was my world, you know, and, um, you know, and then a couple of years later, I discovered, you know, through my older brother and, and kind of the older kids, I discovered Jimi Hendrix, and then it really was over at that point. You know, it was <laughs> like, that's when I was like, I've arrived, and, and it just really just took on a whole new meaning and a whole new approach. And so, you know, and then from just there on out, I've just, I was just, you know, I just practiced day in, day out. And, and that was kind of the thing my dad really helped as a driving force with that when I was a kid. It was like, you know, if I'm going to, I'm going to buy you a guitar, I'm going to buy you an amp, you, you've got to sit in there and work on it, you know, and, and really and do something with it. So that, it really just, you know, inspired me to, to keep going and keep practicing and get better and better and better, you know. Did uh, other, uh, beyond um, the, the sort of, you know, the great 28 and, you know, your dad, did you have, I mean, did you take lessons beyond that? Did you, did you learn theory did, or anything like that? I really didn't, no, I didn't. And it was really funny because in that, in the area where I, I grew up and was born in a, in a town in north in northwest Louisiana, Shreveport, Louisiana, um, every kid in the neighborhood kind of played guitar. I mean, and, and there's another blues guitar player from that area that kind of stuck with it. It was a guy, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but Kenny <laughs> yeah. Wayne was from that area. Kenny <laughs> Wayne grew up in that neighborhood and several other, other guitar, great guitar players. I mean, were part of that, that same area where I grew up. So, everybody kind of played together and kind of shared ideas and, and, you know, everybody kind of talked about, um, we all just kind of just, that's how everybody learned. We all just would get together and, you know, you go ride bikes and, and play in the, play in the woods and then go play guitar, you know? And, and, um, a lot, a lot of kids started when the video game thing started kind of happening around that time, 
you know, they a lot. We lost a lot of kids. Kind of went off into that world. But you know, mm-hmm. several of us really stayed die hard. And, you know, of course, Kenny Wayne Shepherd went on to do what he did. And then there's several other guys from that kind of that that little neighborhood that went on to be great guitar builders. There's a guy, um, you know, that was part of that kind of that group that's now they're still in Shreveport building guitars. And so there was a lot of guys stuck. Some of the guys stuck with it and a lot of them just kind of fell by the wayside. But, you know, that was in the eighties, you know, when it was like, um, uh, you know, it was, and we also had the other thing about it was the area I grew up in. We had a, a lot of accessibility to, um, um, uh, Van Halen because, um, uh, you know, Eddie Van Halen's wife was from our town and actually Kenny Wayne Shepherd's father actually introduced Valerie Bertinelli and Eddie Van Halen. So they actually had a lake house near us. So kids were really in our neighborhood were really, he was like a, a big hero to us and he was very accessible. So a lot of kids were in that kind of world. So there were, there, you know, guitar was a big, big thing for us, you know, growing up in the eighties there. So we there was really a lot not a lot of formal lessons. It was like one kid would would figure out you know a guitar part, and then another kid would um, would uh, kind of show you know we were just all we were all kind of go learn from records, mm-hmm. and then we would and then we would just kind of show each other guitar parts, and then you know that was also the arena rock era too. So we would we would um, we would go and and. Um, uh, go to those shows, and which were all general admission, and, and they're in Shreveport. We got all those great Ring of Rock shows, and we would go get on the front row and then watch the like Angus Young or one of those guys, and and then go run home and try to remember everything they did, and then try to emulate it. You know, uh-huh. so that was a big part of how I learned. I went to a lot of concerts at a, at a really young age, and and uh, we had really great concerts there uh, when what we were favorite, kids. What, what was your favorite concert? Just in the moment, I know putting putting you on the spot, but from that oh, era, what, what goes like, wow, that just knocked me out. Well, the one that really knocked me out. I mean, I saw, of course, I saw all the all the great bands back then. ACDC was always very formidable on me when I was a kid. They were like probably my most favorite. I saw them the most of anybody. But the one that really knocked me out was uh, really was um, uh, seeing Stevie Ray Vaughan when we moved to Dallas eventually. And, and, right there at the end of the 80s and, and uh, in about 1990 was, was Stevie Ray Vaughan. I uh, saw Stevie Ray Vaughan and B.B. King perform together. And that was the one that really kind of set me on the course to go, okay, that's that's what I want to do. So that's so, when you knew you were like, you wanted to you wanted to go, You despite like the fact that you got the Van Halen and all these different stuff. When you saw Stevie Ray and B.B. King, you're like, the blues, that's when it kind of really started to resonate with you? That that's when it yeah that's when it all made sense because you know I like I said I I had uh, I had discovered uh, I had discovered Jimi Hendrix you know some years before and Hendrix kind of set the bar for me so it was mm-hmm. really kind of strange I would go see a lot of the and there were every band in the eighties seems like they had you know, great guitar players everybody was you know really shredding and playing all these guitar parts but there was a certain magic, there was a certain thing, a way that I felt when I would put on, you know, these records and, um, you know, Are You Experienced in Electric Ladyland and all those albums, I would get this certain, like, thing, you know, and I would go, and I would really just set the bar, and so I would really kind of go to these shows and go, yeah, that's great, but I I don't feel the way I do when I listen to Hendrix, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'd always kind of had that feeling, and when I went and saw uh, Stevie Ray, 
we actually were going to see BB King and uh, and Stevie was it was a, it was he was actually the headliner. They were together, and actually because Stevie was in Dallas, his hometown, it was actually his last hometown concert. Uh, they let Stevie headline. So um, when Stevie Ray came out, it, it that I there it was that feeling, and I said, man, there it is, you know. And and then then he started playing Jimi Hendrix, you know. So I was like, <laughs> oh my god, I was like. Not only am I feeling like this, but now he's like launching into like you know Voodoo Child, and it was just like oh my oh my god, you know. So and then BB came out and jammed with Stevie, and that was actually like kind of the first blues jam I ever was a part of, like witnessed, you know. And it was a you know it was pretty epic. I mean to see and Dr. John was on the show. As Dr. John was playing keyboard, and Stevie Ray and BB King. So it was like you know I mean there there was the, my first blues jam. So I was kind of like, okay, well, that's it. That's exactly what I've been searching for. Because I was, I was, you know, in that that era of the '80s, kind of growing up in in that kind of that rock world of the '80s at that time, when it really was like, as far as a guitar player growing up, it was like you either wanted to try to sound like Randy Rhodes or Van Halen or one of those guys. I was always drawn to more of the, uh, you know, the kind of the guys from the generation before in the '70s, you know, mm-hmm. and the more bluesy you know, bluesy hard rock. And, and so, which was kind of out of the norm for, you know, being a kid in the eighties, it was like, you know, it was, everybody wanted to play the current, you know, music that was happening. And I was really into, you know, the, the guys like Leslie West and, and Jimmy Page and guys that were very blues based. And I didn't know it at the time that that's what, you know, that that's, that's what that was about until, you know, seeing Stevie Ray and BB King together, and and then you know, like I said, that love for Hendrix, that kind of all just it all kind of culminated at one time, and I went, okay, that's that's it, it's the blues. That's okay, I get it now. That's what, that's what it, that's what it's about for me, you know. So, um, um, do you do you consider yourself like because you moved to Texas? Um, what what you were like late teens? Actually, I was twelve years old when I moved. Oh, okay. So, do you consider yourself like a te- Texas guy then, pretty much? I've lived. I've lived in Texas longer than um, than anywhere. Yeah, I, I basically, I mean, I've, I've, you know, I moved here when I was twelve. I've been here. We moved uh, a couple of different places, um, you know, during my teenage years. But you know, I wound up back in Texas in, mm-hmm. in my late teens. Yeah, so I was in and out of Texas all along. But I've lived in Texas longer than I've ever lived anywhere. So Did, yeah. Um, do you, okay, so because Texas is a great tradition, you know, not just of guitar, but of music in general. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, we could talk, you know, for hours on, on all of that. I mean, and, and so you're sort of like, do you feel like you're, you're becoming, or you're part of that canon of like the, the Billy Gibbons, the Johnny Winter, you know, the, the that, that sort of, do you, do you, does that, do you, do you feel like you're kind of coming into that or that, that you're part of that? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, <clears throat> I, I was really blessed to, um, have both of those, both of Johnny w- was, you know, a dear friend and, mm-hmm. you know, somebody I idolized and somebody that I learned a great deal from and Billy still to this day. I mean, I met Billy Gibbons. It was funny because just, just, uh, on, it was it yesterday, two days ago, whenever it was the 26th, whatever that was the day after Christmas okay, was the 20th anniversary that I had met Billy. I was sitting back thinking, and I was going, wow, it's been 20 years. I've known Billy Gibbons for 20 years. I met Billy Gibbons when, when we first moved back to Dallas. 
and uh God, I was I was 16 or 17 years old and um we just moved back and I went to a gym we have these you know we used to back in the 90s and all that era and still we have some today and we have blues jams here in Dallas and and uh but there was a spot in particular called the Greenville Bar and Grill and it was really an A-lister kind of a hangout I mean it was a lot of people would come to town and hang out in there it was great music in there all the time Stevie Ray used to hang out in there when he was alive and all kinds of people great people would come in and out of there and I got up and played at this jam, played a, um, um, a, a, a like a little Hendrix medley at this jam, mm-hmm. and Billy was eating next door to an Italian restaurant. There's a very famous Italian restaurant next door, and he was there. It was so funny because he was there with Suzanne Summers from Three's Company. Like when okay. I was a kid, you know. So it was like this weird. So Billy comes over with her. So I come off the stage and they go, Billy Gibbons came here to hear you. Like, he heard you from next door and he came over. And so I walk over there, and there, not only is Billy Gibbons standing there, but then there's the, the, the chick from Three's Company. So I'm going, I'm like, what, wait, what's going on? Like, I don't even know how to even process this right now, you know? <laughs> it was like, there's too much to even try to deal with. So it was just a crazy thing. And so from then on out, like, and Billy had a place here in Dallas back in the 90s, and, and it was kind of during the uh, – the antenna era and uh you know and they had just put out pin cushion was a big hit it was still right. was like you know, had the big video on mtv and it was during that time and uh you know and i really was very fortunate to be around him you know at a young age and kind of start die, you know getting into that and and um you know really kind of being able to to have access to billy and and billy would we would talk about jimi hendrix and what he'd learned from jimi and all these great stories and and all this kind of stuff and and um you know really billy was really forthright in in you being imaginative and being creative and kind of creating your own thing that's one of the things that i always Will, will always be impre- impression to me on Billy. It was just how creative he is, and why I can see why Jimi Hendrix loved Billy so much because he is of that same ilk. I mean, he's very much writing things down all the time and drawing pictures, and very imaginative, very creative, very you know he, he comes up with these brilliant, you know, creative, imaginative things, you know, and uh, so I could kind of see. I was like, oh man, this is like I could see how these guys could be two peas in a pod, you know, with Hendrix, but. And then later on, it was, you know, um, with, you know, with sport, of course, with the Vaughn family, I was very close to um, Steve Ray and Jimmy Vaughn's mother and pretty much everybody that they grew up with in their neighborhood, you mm-hmm. know, uh, in Dallas. And so, which they, and they all kind of embraced me. We always did a, we do a fundraiser every year for his mother has a scholarship for kids uh, for music school. So I was I was involved in that from a very very young age and and Miss Vaughn loved me so we all had a lot of the same group of friends that Stevie grew up with so that was really really cool you know and to be to be a part of that and then you know and then later was was Johnny and Johnny was uh, Johnny and I's relationship was so special because it was like um, we connected over in Europe. I actually started playing with him and we were in Europe. We, we toured together and did some shows. And it was like, when I got with Johnny, we started to talk immediately about Texas. We had a lot of the same mutual friends, the same areas of Texas. And that really, it was like, Johnny was so like, it was, he was, it, that's all we talked about. We didn't really get into 
you know, that he was, you know, here's somebody I, I listened to, to playing, you know, learn to play guitar, listen to the records. It was that here we are, we're from, we have family from the same area of Texas, you know, and, and, and talked about the same, you know, these regions and these places. And that you could tell that really, that really warmed Johnny's, you know, warmed him up. It really made him feel good to just, we didn't talk about everything, anything else but that, you know. Well, and, when you're on and, tour in Europe and you meet a guy from like, kind of like your hometown, you're going to have, it's going to give you a sort of feeling of, you know, home. Right. Exactly. You know, so that's fantastic. It's great that you were able to sort of kind of connect with him on that level. And that was, that was really the, that was where it started. And then when he realized that I had a knowledge of Delta blues, like not like, because Johnny really didn't listen to anything modern at all. I mean, it was, he listened to stuff. I mean, it was thirties, forties, you know, and then in the 50s, you know, it was electric blues and muddy waters and that stuff. But it really was like Blind Willie McTell, Robert Johnson, all the acoustic blues stuff, which is where after I saw Stevie Ray that day, I went the very next day and bought Robert Johnson and started over on acoustic and started mm-hmm. with the acoustic blues and started, went that direction to go, okay, if I'm going to play blues, I kind of took that mentality of like my dad with the Chuck Berry records and went, we got to go back to the very beginning. And then we're going to work our way through the whole thing. And so I'd kind of done that on my own. And, um, so that, when we had, when I had that knowledge and we sat down, it was like, okay, Johnny was like, now I got somebody I can talk to about this stuff. And he was just like, I mean, he was like, Johnny was like a Google of Delta blues. I mean, it was <laughs> like, I mean, you could ask him anything. You can ask him anything about any one of these obscure Blues guy, you know Delta blues guys, especially from Texas or Mississippi, and I mean he would could tell you where they were born, where they lived, where you know, yeah. I mean everybody they used to run this. I mean just he had that information of all that, and so that's we would just sit and talk for hours and hours and hours about um, about all of that, you know, and and uh, you know, and then and just and then we would talk about the playing styles and how this playing style developed from. Blind Willie Johnson, and then moved to this guy, and then that guy, and you know, and it was just like that's what we would really, really talk about, you know, right. it was was all that, and it just and he imparted so much knowledge that I really I didn't know, and he was so glad that he could share that and talk to somebody and and kind of pass that knowledge of, mm-hmm. of especially of the of you know being the scholar of those guys. To me, it was really, it was really cool. I'm really, really fortunate to be able to have. have yeah, you're done very that. blessed. Yeah, you're very blessed, my friend. Um, so, I mean, there's so much to talk about because you've done so many awesome, amazing things. But I want to get to. Let's just fast forward. Let's get to what's going on. You've got, you've got what eight? You got eight records under your own name at this point. Uh, yeah. Or nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you got a new. You got, you got a record coming out or a record out with Sonic Blues. Um, was, uh, Super, yeah, Supersonic Super Blues, Blues Machine. Supersonic yeah. Blues, and you have your own record uh, right. coming up. Okay, so let's, right, where yeah. do you, let's let's start with um, let's start with your your own record. You've got a new record out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we're yeah we're we're putting out um, we've now going back to Johnny Winter back in 2014, beginning of 2014, we um, Johnny had his 70, 70th birthday party at B.B. King's in Times Square in New York City. Mm-hmm. And that would, which would be, you know, faithfully was Johnny's last birthday. And um, I was very, very um, 
just beside myself and humbled that um, Johnny and his manager, Paul Nelson, um, who I also worked with, Paul Nelson also came to me, and they and they asked me to um, open Johnny's birthday party, which was filled with many guests, special guests all throughout the night, and it was kind of a big jam session that they asked me to play, open the show. And it was just, it was unbelievable. And uh, we had been out doing some shows together. And so that, the, the album that we have coming out um, was recorded at BB King's club. It, it is that, in, that set in its entirety that okay. I, that was recorded at BB King's was sold out that night. It was Johnny Winter's 70th birthday. It was actually on his actual birthday in New York city and uh, and there was just a you know an amalgamation of just the who's who of blues and blues rock and rock you know there that night um, lots of great special guests and and guests that just came to the party so it was like okay <laughs> if I'm gonna be out here opening this show for Johnny and Johnny asked me to do this it's like I'm gonna have to bring it 150 percent you know <laughs> of course. And so, you know what I mean? So it was like, that's where it was like, I'm, I'm going to have to come out here and, and, and give it my all. And so, um, and I had, and it, you know, and lo and behold, the tape was rolling. I had no idea, you know, and, um, um, Paul Nelson contacted me probably about, uh, six months later. And he said, man, I goes, I, he, he sent me a message and he's, what are you doing? I said, man, I'm just, I'm, I'm hanging out. He goes, well, I just, listen to your this I'm just blown away by this set I just listened to from New York City and I was like wow who, who was it you said it was you call <laughs> <laughs> oh, really where what I was me yeah Johnny's party I was like what do you mean they recorded it so I just wow it was unbelievable and Paul is just going on and on about how phenomenal it was and so I thought man really and then we listened back and yeah they just captured a killer recording it's just it's it's just it's very raw that and we we kind of you know took the approach of um you know really you know getting the 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 best you know capturing the best kind of live sound you know we could and and just making it really the mix really really big so it's just i'm really really proud of it because it's just it's very you know not overly it's just there it is it is what it is it's a live album you know, on a very special night, you know, that's the thing about it, too. It's not just like, okay, we just recorded four or five gigs on the road or, you know, or just one show, just one random show. It was like this was Johnny's 70th birthday party. It was his last birthday party, mm-hmm. and it was, so you know, a sold-out party there at, at, at B.B. King's in New York City. So it was, there was a lot of variables involved in it that made it really magical and really special. And that's that's coming out uh, in in – in January or February, when is or is it out? I, I believe I believe February. I believe okay. February. And speaking of records coming out, because you 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 just can't stop. <laughs> You're working <laughs> with the Supersonic Blues Machine, and uh, tell me about that project because and how does that differ from Lance Lopez Band, and what do you kind of get out of that artistically that's a little different than your own band? Well. Supersonic Blues Machine kind of came about in, in, in Los Angeles, and I had um, I had reached out to an engineer and producer and uh, bass player by the name of Fabrizio Grassi, and uh, lots of mutual friends of ours in Europe, because I've been touring Europe with my own group for a while, and, and my records have done you know fairly well there. We um, 
we uh, lots of guys that said, man, you need to really contact Fabrizio. You guys would be fantastic together. And so I looked Fabrizio up and saw that he had worked with Bonamassa and uh, Leslie West and Zach Wild and, and Steve Lukather and all these, these great guys. And um, we reached out and we began to talk. We began to, you know, a conversation and about him producing me and, and working on some material. And so when um, – and I went to L.A. And I went to Los Angeles, and we got in a studio together, and we started working on some songs, and we started writing some songs. And it was just – it was instantaneous, you know, magic. Just like a lot of – like I said, a lot of our mutual friends in Europe, all over throughout Europe, had been telling me, you guys really need to get together. And so when I, we finally did get together, it was like, oh, yeah, now we understand. I mean, we, we, it was just total chemistry, total magic. And then, um, so, and he had also been working with, with Billy Gibbons and, uh, and a lot of those other people that I mentioned, but Gibbons called him about something totally different about working on, uh, some stuff because they'd actually began pre-production on this solo record that Billy just put out recently. Right. That's that's absolutely fantastic too. I mean, that's, that's really amazing. (laughs) <laughs> the right, Mundo record, yeah. yeah. So they had started kind of working on putting that together, and it's kind of its its in, infantile stages of of Billy, you know, working on solo stuff. Fabrizio worked on him, so he called uh, Gibbons, called Fabrizio, and said, um, "You know, Fab, what's going on?" And he said, "Man, I'm just I've been in the studio with a guy from Texas named Lance Lopez." And Gibbons just went, oh, my God, really? Lance? Oh, man. You know, and just was like, man, I know Lance. He was a little kid, you know. And it was that whole thing. And he was like, you guys need to put a band together. And then we'll do a song. And so, then, like I said, Billy was always the guy with the imaginative, creative, like, oh, we're mm-hmm. going to do, you know. And that's, what, that's really how it sparked. I mean, it, you know, me and Fab were kind of just starting to get to know each other. And we were like, man, this is really great. This is working great. And then Gibbons called him and, and you know, Fabrizio told him, I mean, you know, and Gibbons said, you guys absolutely need to put a band together. We need to put this thing together. I want to, I've got a song for it. We're going to do this, we're going to, you know, and all this and that. So the next thing you know, um, Fab and Kenny Aronoff had worked on, uh, you know, they, they had done Leslie West, uh, a record with Leslie West, and, and they'd worked with Steve Lukather together as the rhythm section. And, uh, you know, Fabrizio reached out to Kenny, and Kenny heard what me and Fab had just done in the studio and was like, man, I love this guy. You know, we got to do this. We need to, you know, and then with Gibbons involved, you know, it was like it just started to snowball. And then once Bill, we laid down the track uh, with Billy, which they had kind of, Billy kind of had some material left over from the last Easy Top album from La Futura. And, uh, you know, we, we, we laid that down. And then once that happened, it just started to snowball. Then Warren Haynes got involved. And, uh, and I, you know, I'd known Warren, you know, uh, around being around mule and kind of that extended Allman brothers family kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And, and, um, you know, and, and so Warren then got involved and then, you know, Robin Ford got, and it just started to snowball with, with, you know, all these great, amazing guitarists, uh, you know, came to the table. Of course, then two of my oldest and dearest friends, Eric Gales and Chris Duarte, you know, got involved. So, I mean, it was just like, you know, it just began to snowball as we put it together. And, uh, and the tracks just got better and better and better. And the songs got better and better. And it's really, 
um, it was, it, and we, you know, we took our time with it. You know, we were able actually just to space it out and work on it over the course of, you know, a year and a half or so and really get in there and, and really do it correctly. And, um, you know, it was, it was, there was a lot of real serious input put into it, where it's different from my solo records, which are really kind of done where I would go in for, you know, two weeks or whatever would be 10 days or a week or whatever and go, okay, we're going to start the record here and we're going to finish it in two, you know, in two weeks a week, you know, and we're going to do it all like that. This was, this was done over a big spread out period of time where, there was a lot of great songwriters involved and, and a lot of great songs were brought to the table. A lot of great artists came to the table and that we really were able to put it together and make it something very magical and very special, you know? And, uh, so, it, you know, that's, that's the, um, that's kind of the thing is that, you know, it's, it, you know, it's a band where it's, it's me and Fabrizio and Kenny in there. And then we have all these other great guitarists joining us you know, as, as guests on the, um, you know, it's just like a big, like a big party, you know, it's, it, mm-hmm. and it really didn't turn into where I kind of envisioned. I thought, you know, we're going to go the route, like this is going to end up being like a, uh, um, you know, cream or something where it's going to turn into this big jam thing. Cause we got all these monster players. We actually had really great songs and that, that was really the difference where it was like, you know, it just didn't turn into three soloists you know, totally shredding, it turned into like, we're going to play the, we're, we're going to have some really great songs and then we'll be able, and then when we really want to do playing, we're going to bring in some great friends of ours so that we're, we're really going to have a reason to play. You know, we're going to okay. bring in Robin Ford. We're going to bring in, you know, uh, Eric Gales or, or, or Warren Haynes, you know, to come play with us live, you know, so they, we can really, you know, really stretch out and do some serious jamming, you know, because jamming is one thing to jam in a band together and all of us jam together, but it's, it's also, I'm, 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 I love playing with my friends, uh, you know, and having jam sessions and, and I love jamming. So it's like, you know, what better than to jam with, you know, the best that there is and, and our most favorite that are true friends of ours and, and people that we just love as, as artists and musicians. So that's kind of the the, the idea okay. and the premise. So what's what's stylistically? Is it is it more of like a blues record? Is it more of a rock record? Is it you know harder edged? Is it you know more like back? Supersonic Blues Machine is definitely more of a. Um, it's it's got elements of all of it. It's you've got um, it, it's it's more of a. Um, I would say it's a it's a blues rock record. It's it's definitely some uh, blues you know, blues-based rock, um, but it's not, you know, hardcore. It's not very heavy, you okay. know. It's not it's not a heavy rock album. It, there's some, some, some stuff does, but, you know, you've got everything, like the, like there's a, uh, you know, the, the, the track that Warren Haynes and I did is a, is a very feel-good ballad, much like, uh, very along the lines of Soul Shine with Government Mule. Mm-hmm. You know, we did one of those. With, with Gibbons, it's, it's hard-edged, ZZ Top. You know, it's 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 that hard edge kind of uh, uh, that kind of feel, and then um, you know, then with with like Chris and Chris Duarte and Eric Gales, we got into some more of the stuff that we've always, you know, the real you know real kind of Strat powered kind of Hendrixy kind of mm-hmm. you know uh, psychedelic blues rock. You know, we kind of got into that world, and then you know, so there's just an amalgamation of stuff. You know, Robin Ford and I did a great uh, another ballad that's a really a, a serious, 
uh, you know, ballad, like a love song. So, I mean, it's all over the map. And then we've got, you know, pure, like, funk on there. You know, it's got funk, it's got rock, it's got blues, it's got ballad. You know, it's got some kind of pop songs. I mean, it, it really, but they're good songs, you know. It's, it's um, there's not like just straight ahead shuffles, you know. It's not like, a, you know, you're just going to pure blues shuffle or anything like that. It, mm-hmm. It's, it's it's just really really good song. So it's kind of it's kind of all over the place as far as that's concerned. But it's not all over the place where it's like, okay, there's no direction. You know what I mean? It's it, right. It, it has a, it has a thread that runs through the you know the sound. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so exactly. what's the name of the so so what's so the album is the album's called Supersonic Blues Machine. What's the album? What's the album called? It's called yeah. It's Supersonic Blues Machine, and the song is West of Flushing, South of Frisco. Okay. So and yeah and 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 it's and the the title really kind of comes from Flushing being Queens and then and then south of Frisco being San Francisco so all kind of arrows pointing to Los Angeles because that's where we all met that's where we all recorded and that's kind of where um, Supersonic Blues Machine claims as its home even though I'm a Texas blues rock guy you know and they, they, they're, they're, they're adopting me and pulling me into Los Angeles so they're like pulling me out of Texas they're like you're over here now so no, it's kind of a funny thing to where it's like you know it, it's really it's, it's really a Los Angeles based band you know and yeah. Kenny and both Kenny and Fabrizio are in LA and all the, you know, everybody, call, you know, we all came together, you know, Fabrizio and I began to work in Los Angeles, and we all recorded in Los Angeles, so yeah. that's kind of the premise, so kind of a base of operations for Supersonic Blues Machine is, is LA, so that's where the title is, West of Flushing, which is West of Queens, um, I had a brief period of time where I lived in Queens, Fabrizio lived in Queens uh, for a while. He lived in New York for quite when he first came over. Because he's originally from Milan, Italy, so he was in okay. New York for many years before he he eventually settled in Los Angeles. So we we all had kind of a New York connection, and then um, you know, and then San Francisco, you know, and then South of Frisco being San Francisco. So it's like I said, it's all the title is all pointing, all arrows kind of pointing to L.A. So that's where okay. all the magic happened. That's where we all came together. And and the, and your live record is called Live in New York. Yeah, it's Live in NYC. That's just, live we just in NYC. We kept it. Yeah, we just kept it real simple. Just Lance Lopez Live in NYC, and you know, I really didn't want to. You know, I, I got really a. It, it was really it was really sensitive for me because, um, you know, I'd found out right after Johnny passed away that there actually was even a recording of of the uh that that night because you know it really when when johnny passed away and it's still i mean i'm still dealing with it you know i mean because johnny was i mean we all have johnny as as our icon and our hero and john winter but he was a dear friend of mine you know and that's where in in the loss of a very close and dear friend so and and it just was um you know it was it was a lot to deal with so and it was really weird because i'd gotten approached by some people various you know entities that wanted to do johnny winter tributes and they wanted to do johnny winter tribute album and for me you know it was one thing for paul and i to kind of go out and play because we had played on stage with johnny so many times to kind of pay tribute to him but when outside entities kind of came in you know it was one thing to go play with the band and go okay we're going to pay tribute to our friend and you know and and play with the band it was another thing for kind of outside sources to come up and say hey we want to all of a sudden now we want to do a johnny winter tribute album and so I really didn't want to associate 
um, too much of it that the fact of that it was, you know, with, with, you know, it was just really sensitive for me to say, yeah. you know, to, to say, oh, I have a Johnny Winter's birthday party or something, you know. I barely, you didn't want you know, to feel just, like you were capitalizing on that. Ex- exactly. Because, you know, like I said, it was it was just really, Johnny was a very, very close friend. I mean, he was a, he was a mentor to me. He was a, he was he taught me so much. I mean, it was just like, it was like losing a family member. So, yeah, yeah I did. And, and, and then being approached by certain people that, that were trying to, you know what I mean, yeah. that really... It really that kind of freaked me out. So I was like, yeah. I don't. I just me and Paul talked about it, and it was like, let's just call it live in New York City or in NYC, or just let's just leave it at that. Leave it at that. Let's you know, I don't even want to even put the BB King thing in there. Let's just say we were in New York City on one great night, and then yeah. you know, and those that know will know. So, and then you know, we have mention of it in the liner notes, but it's not right. splashed across across the front of the cover, and you know, we're not using Johnny in any way to try to you know capitalize on that it just was a special night it was a magical night and uh so that's just why we kind of kept it really simple with the live in, in nyc you know well this is well we're, we're recording this at the end of uh 25th of the very end last week of 2015 so in uh so in february here in a few weeks the uh the records come out. What's the plan? Are you guys are you guys on? Are you going on tour or, or what, are you? Is, and is the Supersonic Blues Machine? Are they going to do gigs? Like what's what is the next like year look like for you? Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. We we um we are planning on um. Well, we're planning on once the uh, of course. I mean, when when with the live with the live at NYC album. I mean, you know, when it comes out, of course, we'll be. We'll be touring, and and uh, I've also got um, a lot of studio recordings uh, that I've done with both uh, Paul Nelson and with Fabrizio Grassi that are solo things that I'm working on for a, a studio album. I'm actually mm-hmm. have another studio album that I'm that's in the works that we're actually um, that will actually follow up the live and the NYC album that we're still kind of finishing up. But um, yeah, and then Supersonic Blues Machine we'll be doing some specialized touring and some specialized dates because when we go out and play live, we will have a lot of the guests that are on the album live with us. So we'll, we'll have Warren Haynes. We'll have Robin Ford. We'll oh, have wow. you know, Eric Gills. We'll have even have Gibbons on some dates. So we'll, we're, it's going to be a specialized event, kind of a tour thing. And we actually have talked about late spring for starting in Europe. You know, we're going to actually mm-hmm. kind of start overseas and then, you know, kind of branch out from there. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're with, with, with all of that, you know, we're looking at really kind of jumping off in the spring with, with a lot of touring. You know, once these two records come out uh, with my live album and with Supersonic Blues Machine, both projects will kind of be, um, you know, we'll be kind of interweaving in between tour dates and, and, um, and, and that. But that'll be Supersonic Blues Machine, yeah, we'll be – really exciting because um, it won't just be me, Kenny, and Fabrizio. It'll be, you know, we'll have, you know, at least half of those guests that are on that record with us. You know, we'll have Walter Trout. We'll have Robin Ford. We'll have Warren Haynes out playing shows with us. Sounds like a sounds like an awesome show. Uh, I hope that I can get a chance to catch you guys. Anything else you want to plug or anything before we wrap up today? Uh, you know, I mean, you know, I just, yeah, I just would say, you know, just keep checking out the, uh, you know, the, the records we've got. Um, you know, my website is LanceLopezTX.com. Uh, my Facebook is Lance Lopez Band, uh, you know, Facebook slash uh, Lance Lopez Band. 
my my Twitter account is Lance Lopez TX as well. So, I mean, you know, just just I'm always I'm a big social media guy, so I'm real easy to to find where I'm at playing live um, via social media, you know, Facebook and and uh, and all of those things. So yeah, I'm I'm it, it's it's all very accessible. You know, I'm I'm big on social media, so you know, you follow me on Twitter, follow me on Facebook, and and uh, you know, you can stay real updated on that. And then you know, our, our website is. We try to keep it somewhat updated, you know, but yeah. social media, social media, really, really, I'm, I'm, we really keep that very updated. So yeah, just you know, come like the band page, follow us on Twitter, you know, Instagram as well. You know, it's also Lance Lopez TX. So you know, we're all on social media. So yeah, definitely follow us on that. You know, we will keep you up to date. All right, guys, you've been listening to uh, hey, Lance. Hang on for a second. Thanks a lot, buddy. Hang on for just one second. I need to finish something here, and then we'll wrap up. Um, Guys, you've been listening to uh, Lance Lopez. Uh, he's got a couple of great uh, records coming out here very shortly. By the time it's airs, so they'll be coming out pretty quick, uh, live in NYC or live in New York, which is uh, the Lance Lopez band. And uh, you want to definitely want to check out the uh, Supersonic Blues Machine, and I believe that is supersonicblues.com for uh, that release. It looks really hot. There's uh, some great players on it, as you uh, heard Lance talk about. Uh, one more time, thank our sponsors, Positively Pittsburgh Live, PPL, um, mag.com and MTS Management Group that is mtsmanagementgroup.com you have been listening to the Ludini Rock and Roll Circus if you're if you're digging what you're hearing uh, check out the rest of the interviews on our website Ludini Ludini Rock and Roll Circus.com uh, we have uh, you heard us talking about Paul Nelson I, I just did a great interview with him as well uh, so that's up there and uh so we, we're involved in a lot of different things. We're out there promoting artists like Lance and Paul and these guys that are playing real rock and roll that uh, needs to be out there. Um, so check that out and uh, get into it. We also do a music cast once a week where we uh, play these artists and uh, so you can get a chance to get a peek at what they sound like. Hey, uh, thank you guys so much for listening. LudiniRockAndRollCircus.com and we will see you guys on the next podcast. Lance, thanks, buddy. Yeah, man, that was you awesome. Got a, you you, you got a you so got much. a minute? You got a minute to take a bonus question? Yeah, sure. Okay, all right. Um, this is something you were you were talking about in your uh, um, when we were talking. You were talking about making a record. You you sort of said that you make a record in a week. Yeah. How how do you do that? <laughs> I love musicians listen to us, and I'm a musician, and I'm like, this guy makes an album in a week. Like, you know, it took me four years to make my last record. <laughs> oh man, we did. We did a. We were at Paul Nelson's house back in uh, back in let's see, uh, God, was it over the summer? And we cut an entire album's ten ten tracks worth of, of material in nine hours. Wow. So we we recorded in nine hours, and I did vocal tracks, uh, first takes probably, and I did all the vocals on the record in about three hours. So we had actually, I'd actually done an entire album worth of stuff, you know, tracking it, you know, and then overdubs the next day. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're very prepared and you have, you know, the key is, you know, for me to be very prepared, you know, to have all the material really lined out, very well rehearsed. You know, pre-production is very, very key. Lots of rehearsal, lots of hardcore rehearsal, um, you know, and get it that way. And really, I like to bring in whoever's producing, if it's me or another producer, and be there in the the pre-production phase of rehearsal so that the producer can kind of come in and make his changes at, at the rehearsals, and then we go in and record. 
because a lot of times I've ran into the past with working with producers is that, you know, you can go in the studio and you have, um, you know, everything kind of, uh, you know, super tightly rehearsed the way you wanted to have it, and then a producer comes in and changes everything. So then you're like, oh, well, what do we do now, you know? And so... Um, you know, that that's that's very key, and I usually would like to do pre-production like that and then bring the producer in a day or two early to the rehearsals and then go, okay, what what do you, what should we do here? Let's let's start making changes while we're here in the rehearsal hall before we go in the studio and then start wasting time and then everybody has, you know, kind of messes with anybody mentally that we've changed all this stuff that's been so ingrained. So that to me, that's very important. Pre-production and rehearsal is super, super important so that when you go in – you're actually wasting a lot less time tracking the album, and that that therefore you can focus more on guitar solos and and vocals and and mixing and adding whatever other instrumentation, keyboards or background vocals or horns or whatever you know whatever kind of other stuff you're gonna you know put on top of the record. If you're not all cutting live together, you know that that's the thing that really um, you know they can kind of give you more time. It's just it's about being prepared. You know, preparedness is is kind of key to getting in and doing it very quickly. Well, having the producer work with you guys ahead of time is that that's like, I never thought about that before. That's, that's actually a great idea. I could see why and then that makes more sense now that you could do a record in a week. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, you know, absolutely. <laughs> what, just one last thing, if you could do for me real quick, if you could give me a little tag, like uh, this is uh Lance Lopez and you're listening to the Ludini rock and roll circus. Could you say that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm going to count you in. I'm going to count from five, and then t- uh, two and one will be silent. Here we go. In five, four, three. Hey, y'all, this is Lance Lopez, and you're listening to Lou Dini and the Rock and Roll Circuit. Thanks, Lance. You I appreciate it, it, buddy. You um, got it, Lou Dini. Thanks so much, bro. I appreciate <laughs> everything, Lou. Yeah, we're gonna, and we're, gonna, we'll, we're definitely going to play this uh, on, our, uh, on our music cast. Too. So we're, I'm oh. going to play or play your music, your 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 anything we can find of yours that's out there. We'll be playing it. So. All right. Awesome. Well, Larry, let me know when uh, when when you guys have it up, so I, I can post it on all my media stuff and let everybody uh, too. How do I? Hey, what's the best way to contact you, Lance? Uh, what's the best? Well, do you have an email address I can send something? Yeah, to? yeah, absolutely. Let me give you my email. Sure. It's the that's the T H E the Lance Lopez band T H E L A N C E L O P E Z B A N D Lance Lopez band band B A N D okay at gmail dot com of course at gmail uh, very good all right man I'll send you everything and I'll uh, we'll get that out to you it's gonna it's probably not gonna like be airing on our networks probably for a few weeks because we only put up interviews on Wednesdays we only to do once a week for the interview. We have to stay some kind of schedule. Uh, so it's going to be a few weeks before it actually, but as soon as we get everything together, we'll get it out to you, okay? Awesome. So- sounds good, Lou. Just let me know. Yeah, that'd be great. That way I can I can help promote it and post it on all my stuff. Very good, man. Well, you have a great rest of the day, okay? You too, Lou. Thank you so much, man. Take care, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.